Welcome to San Diego Sessions. This week we're in studio with Kamau Kenyatta. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Well, good morning and welcome to San Diego Sessions. I'm uh, Ed Kornhauser, and I'm joined here in the studio by my esteemed colleague. I'm Ian Tordella, and we're here today. We're honored to be joined by our friend Kamau Kenyatta. How's it going, Kamau? Everything's great, and it's good to be here. So before we start, I've got our usual top of the show. This is our This versus That segment. So I have some important, very important questions for Ed. Oh, uh, import away. Okay. <laughs> All right. First up, Pat Martino or Pat Metheny? I think I'd go... For Pat Metheny in this case, even uh, in terms of he had such a style and such a way of doing things, his composing and the way he put his group together and his sound, and I thought it was way more uh, revolutionary. Yeah, or has such a style. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, you're <laughs> sorry, right. Pat. Him, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, I love Pat Metheny's playing and that whole thing about how he had a stroke, but he was able to to re to come back from that, like. And reteach his brain to play guitar is just amazing to me. That whole concept of neuroplasticity blows my mind. Yeah. Okay, well, today is the, the guitar edition, if you haven't caught on yet. So the next one up is John Schofield or John Jonathan Kreisberg. I've always been, I'm going to go with John Schofield. I've always been partial to him. Uh, just his his sound, again, his, his, his writing and, and his tone. Uh, for some reason, I could think of a lot of road trips I've been on where I've had him on the the, the, the stereo and sometimes when I think of John Schofield I think of just driving through the desert I know that sounds weird but it always kind of resonates with me in that way it's a bizarre thing personal but cool <laughs> okay we have one more um, John Abercrombie or John McLaughlin that's that's hard that's very hard I don't hmm I want both of them <laughs> I'll go with a uh, I'll go personal. T- I'll go with John Abercrombie. All right, that's what I was going to say. I think John McLaughlin's the o- obvious choice because he attained such popularity. Yeah. But for what touched me personally, I love Abercrombie's work. I don't know. What do you think, Kamal? Man, I I think about John McLaughlin as a as an accompanist, not just his own band. Like the stuff he played on Bitches Brew. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who else could have done that? I don't know. But I love you know. Abercrombie and the mood he puts me in a mood you know yeah it's hard to pick on that one yeah it really was <laughs> yeah so he he really gets us sometimes so uh as we said before we're here in the studio today with pianist saxophonist composer educator and two-time grammy award-winning producer Kamau Kenyatta and uh, uh he's he's known both as being a, a, a amazing musician 
uh, in around San Diego for many years and also teaching at UCSD. Uh, and you're also known for your production work. I've been fortunate enough to work with you on a few projects myself and, and, and seeing what you can do to, uh, to an album, to a recording, to a process. Um, and uh, you're quite known uh, um, quite recently for your work with singer Gregory Porter. That's right. Uh, even though I, I think I started with Gregory around 1996, so it's it's actually a really long term thing. Oh wow, I didn't know. And uh, you've got some music here, and it's uh, you recently scored the music for a documentary about him, I believe. Yes, the, their words his mother told. You know, Gregory was trying to make career decisions, and his mom said, "Don't forget your music." And so that's the title of the uh, the documentary. Oh wow! All right, we're going to hear a track from that. This tune is called Waiting and Watching.
we just heard Waiting and Watching that was composed by Kamau Kenyatta, our guest, and that was from a new documentary about singer Gregory Porter called Don't Forget Your Music. Uh, I believe you just mentioned you and Gregory's relationship goes back to would you say ninety seven or the mid nineties? Yeah. I, I need to I need to pin a year down yeah. <laughs> somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. How did you meet? Um, I was subbing for the great George Lewis uh, at UCSD. I, I didn't even I wasn't even a full I wasn't on staff there or I wasn't faculty yet, and um, I was doing this class called ninety five JC, which I still do today. And there was Gregory singing, and he was really just singing real book horn parts along with the band. And I, after the first time I heard him do that, I said, you know, we need to work on, come by my house, let's work on your repertoire. You need, you need some repertoire fashion. You have a gift. Let's and, and that was the beginning. So you saw something in him even back then? Immediately, wow. yeah. Wow. And uh, so did you, did you, you played together a lot before you kind of took on more of a, a producing role? Yes, I mean, I I played with him. I I did demo recordings for him, and and as things, you know, I, I they called me a mentor to him, right? So one cool thing that happened, I I was working on a project with Hubert Laws, and I took Gregory uh, with me, just just to hang. It was a long day in the studio with Hubert, and at the end of the day, I I just put Greg on the spot. I said, "Man, sing, you know, sing something for Hubert," and he did. And then Hubert said, let's put him on this project. And I wasn't doing it for him to get the gig or whatever. I just wanted him to have the experience of being around, you know, greatness. And that's what Hubert Laws is. And sure enough, Hubert hired him right there. Oh, wow. That's terrific. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I remember when, when I first moved to town, I, I heard Gregory at the Onyx Room back at Gilbert Castellanos used to have the Onyx Room jam session. Right. And he'd be in there and... And I'd be like, who is this big guy? Because he used to be a football player. That's right. And he'd get up there and, and has such a commanding voice. I mean, it's one, I, 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 love, I love the records, but hearing him live, his voice really has a presence. So Yeah, I mean, he, yes, he's, he's, he can be very subtle as well. And I think he maybe emphasizes for the most part his, subtle, his more subtle side um, on his records. But yeah, I mean, you have to hear him live for sure. The first... I was listening to that record, Be Good, he had, and that track, it, it does sort of emphasize his, his more subtle side, but then that way he does work song at the end. Yes. And that just, I was like blown back in my seat. And then he follows that up, I remember, with the acoustic, I mean, uh, not acoustic, acapella version of God Bless a Child. So you really get that dichotomy there, his, his highs and his lows. So let me tell you about that work song. That was after... A, a grueling eight-hour day, and he sang guide vocals for everything. He was singing all day, and then he, let's do work song. I was like, man, are you sure you want to do that now? Did you, don't you want to rest a bit? No. And <laughs> so he uses his his size and strength along with his intellect, everything to his, his advantage incredibly. But yeah, that work song was at the end of a very long day, and he just killed it. I remember that very well. Yeah, he it's it's it's, it's cathartic. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I I remember just sitting in my chair, just being hanging on everything he did that was that was an incredible experience just to hear that for the first time mm -hmm. and i would love to see him live at some mm -hmm. point i have not yet he's coming on the third i think I of, of november i at saw balboa theater yeah I, I saw that actually i even have a little reminder to actually get the ticket i need to do that um you've made several uh recommendations in terms of check things people should check out i i know you've rec recommended some to me or you recommended some to my friends who have then in turn recommended them to me and they've influence my thinking about music did you make any such things to, to Gregory oh we spent a 
we spent more time uh, talking about music and listening to music than we did playing music together. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I made sure he listened to every great vocalist that, that I knew. And, and I'm a big fan of vocal music, as most people that know me knows, know that fact. And um, so we listened to Milton Nascimento. Um, I, I think I, I broadened his listening to international musicians, Mercedes Sosa from Argentina. Um, and then some of the music that came before him, like John Lucian. And uh, we listened a lot to Bill Withers. And I think Bill Withers became a, a big, big influence on Gregory's writing style. Um, but we also talked a lot about, you know, history, culture, art. Uh, Gregory is as, as talented as he is. He's, he's, his intellect is just as powerful and strong. So he's very, very interested in things other than music. He's a triple or a quadruple threat, I would say. Yes. Yeah. And how, how many albums and projects have you done together? Man? Um, we've done five total four. One hasn't been released yet. Oh, right. The, That's, uh, the, uh, Nat King Cole, is that Nat right? King Cole and me. Nat King Cole and me, yes. Yeah, arranged by Vince Mendoza. Oh, wow. And when we did the first album, Water, in 2010, I told his management, I told him there needs to be a Nat King Cole project, hmm. and Vince Mendoza, Vince Mendoza needs to be the arranger. And people were like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know. And then it, it finally came to fruition. That's cool. Dreams do come true. Yeah. So is that, gonna, is that with the full studio orchestra, or what's we the re- band on that? We recorded that in in, uh, in London and um, up to sixty nine piece orchestra, uh, depending on Vince's palette. And the rhythm section included Christian Christian Sands, uh, Ruben Rogers, and Ulysses Owens. And Christian Sands was remarkable. I mean, all of them were, but the the things that Christian gave us were just incredible. And this guy's in his twenties. Yeah, I. Uh... I, uh, I I think the word dream team gets bandied about a little bit too much, but that is a dream team. Uh, it was it was it was fantastic, and and just the experience of recording in Air Studios, a very historic studio in London, and to hear the <laughs> excuse me, to hear the orchestra, not in the booth, but just even in the in the room, because the orchestra recorded without headphones. Wow, Vince yeah. used headphones and uh, a click a program click. Yeah. So he all the rallentandos and all that were programmed into, and he he heard it, but the orchestra responded to him just like they're watching a, a conductor, and they use a click, and as you guys know, they use a click in those cases for for editing ease later. You know. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, for our listeners, the Air, Air Studios—that's George Martin's studio. So a lot that's of the Wi-Fi the password. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, the George Wi-Fi. Martin. George yeah. Martin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we all know. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're in London, right? Any of our listeners in London. <laughs> well, moving on to some other recent stuff you've worked on as a, as a producer. And I think last time we talked, we were talking about uh, the Brazilian musician Ed Moda. Uh, oh, my God. So. <laughs> Tremendous favorite of mine. Yeah, and his, his most recent record was Perpetual Gateways. Which I right, believe that you, you had worked the, on. Yeah, you were the producer. I on was that, the I producer on that one. Yeah, and Ed is. Uh, have you ever walked with someone who's like six five, six five or six six, and you have to take more steps to keep up with them? And that's how I felt uh, intellectually and musically with Ed. The guy's so brilliant in both ways. It was just, but I I hung. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but, but what an amazing um, person and musician. How did you two meet? 
we met on MySpace. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the best thing I think I've heard on this podcast so far. Ed uh, Ed is a a big time vinyl collector, and he has a collection of over forty thousand vinyls, and is very very valuable. And one time he posted what I think was a not very good record that I did in the, in the in the 70s which is some kind of for for the spiritual jazz um world is some kind of ed described it as a as a holy grail and he posted that and so I contacted him and I wrote him in Portuguese because I used to live in Brazil and I can get by in con- you know conversational Portuguese anyway for the most part wow. um and he he just loved that, and he wrote back to me, and he said, where did you learn Portuguese? And I have so much respect for guys of your generation, and we just kept in touch, um, but not much, just once or twice over the years. And then Brian Cross, filmmaker, UCSD uh, professor, went to visit Mota in, at his home in Rio with his wife, Tama Gifreitas. And um, Ed said, oh, you, you just got a gig at UCSD, then you have to you have to visit Kamau Kenyatta. Now, how this guy remembered where I taught when, you know, we only communicated sparsely over the years through MySpace. But that's the kind of mind he has. Right. And that, that, that's the that, kind of mind he has. That kind of dates the, dates the conversation to yeah. if it's MySpace. And so, but, and so this was maybe 2014, I believe, or 13. And uh, so, anyway, long story short, he ends up coming to San Diego and L.A. to perform. And uh, Brian Cross uh, introduced me filmmaker photographer extraordinaire brian cross introduced me to ed and arranged for us to drive ed to la for his gig up there on that drive ed said i want you to produce my my next album which was just a it was a dream come true just to work with him just to hang with him where, where did you uh where did you record when you went to when, when you went we to recorded it? it at the very spot uh we recorded i am calm together at, oh. no, at nolan shaheed's in, in, oh, in, right in on, uh, right no on. sound studio in pasadena yeah, that's a that's a great studio. And then Nolan was engineering. Nolan, yes, he was engineering. Absolutely. You were you were rolling with Nolan. Rolling with Nolan, that's right. Yeah. And we had uh, Patrice uh, Russian and Greg Fillingaines and uh, Smitty Smith and uh, Tony Dumas playing bass along with Cecil McBee and Curtis Taylor, and that was it was a it was a hell of a crew. Wow. I, yeah, uh, that's a L.A. dream team of uh, backing band again. there. Yeah. Or not even I wouldn't even call it a backing band if you have Patrice Patrice Russian oh, and all and, those people and, so. and, and Greg Fillin, Greg Fillingaines I saw mm-hmm. him uh, MDing for Stevie Wonder a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that was that was fantastic yeah we grew we grew up together we went to high school together no way yeah oh wow he God, he amazing player is he doing a lot of the the, the keyboard solos on that on that record um, or, or is it uh, no it's pretty much divided between he and Patrice Patrice does the solos Ed is playing Ed plays. He plays keyboard on everything as well. Yeah. Um, but there's always two keyboards, and uh, either Greg or Patrice took solos. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was an, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching a live video yesterday of Ed, and it was uh, he's on uh, he's on a Rhodes, and then there's a piano player, and it was kind of dark in the video. I think I think it was a Brazilian guy. It was hard to tell, uh, but he was on like a Nord doing an acoustic sound. And normally, I think. And just bass, drums, and guitar, two keyboards at once, both mm-hmm. so busy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it works so well. They, they, he's Ed's got such a pocket. He has a pocket, and he's another one with, you know, as I said, super high intellect, and nothing happens by chance. Uh, I mean, you could, if you contrasted uh, uh, Gregory Porter and Ed Mota, you'd, you'd know that uh, 
Ed does. I mean, he would uh, Skype me six months before the session and go over chord voicings, wow. specific chord voice. <laughs> Gregory will still be composing a song in the studio. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, and that's that's a, and that's as a good producer, you have to be fluid and and adjust to the artist and really really serve the artist. I, I mean, I I love the role, you know. I love uh, helping and I love the teamwork and and I think that you know you just have to serve the artist. Would you say that Moda he really just has everything mapped out in his mind ahead of time? He he envisions the Every, whole project super super specific. Wow. That's However, yeah. for instance, on on that on perpetual gateways, there's some horn parts. Uh, it was you know Curtis and uh, Ricky Woodard playing tenor, uh, and we had rhythm tracks for the whole album. And Ed spontaneously generated those horn parts. He just played the. We were at an apartment in L.A. He played the tracks and he sang the horn part, everything he wanted, without prior thought. Wow. And I, I had nice. to, I had to write, you know, I, I transcribed <laughs> his ideas, and I was just, again, that guy running to keep up with the taller person, just to, you know, keep his ideas where he wanted them and everything. That's 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 amazing. I think that's a great fluidity to have, or fluidity is a great thing to have. Like really work everything out, have a structure, but be open to change and be open to both on the production side and on the recording side to right. be willing to go in some new directions. Right. Well, on keyboard, yeah, Ed, seem, he seems like such a great groove player, and I was talking to. Ed Kornhauser here before the show. I was watching a little interview with Ed Moda. He was talking about uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. Right, I heard. That. <laughs> and he I was. Heard, I heard a lot of so. Steely Dan influence on this on in his Absol- writing. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, but again, Ed has a broad. That's that's what he likes. But he has a broad encyclopedic knowledge of music. So he's deep into spiritual jazz, as I said. Um, yeah, uh, I introduced him to. Uh, one of the partners, one of the people I work with a lot, Deneen Wilburn here, uh, an incredible R&B and gospel singer. And Ed starts talking about, oh, do you know the album Commissioned? Uh, the fourth track. And he starts singing, you know, he knew her, uh, he knew her Detroit, stuff Detroit gospel. Wow. It was, I mean, and then he just does, he does that all day. If you're driving with him, oh, oh Rococo. He's talking about the architecture <laughs> in L.A. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, this is, you know. Wow. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, let's get into another one of your tracks, and, and that'll take us up to the jazz calendar. And then I think uh, later in the show, we want to talk about some of your influence influences as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. This next track, it's another one from the Gregory Porter documentary you did all the music for. It, and this one's called Leaving San Diego. Uh, could you give us a little introduction on this one? Well, it, it has to do with Gregory's talent taking him away from a place that he loved a lot. And uh, so I decided to use the great, great Hubert Laws. Uh, that's that's not a very hard decision, is it? <laughs> and, uh, but just to create that that mood, that mood. And uh, if if I may, who else is who's playing on these on these recordings? Well, uh, on this one, uh, Richard Sellers, local San Diego and, drummer, and a great drummer and longtime collaborator. And let's see who else is on there. Mac Layton, yeah. who you know very well. Yeah, we, and, he, yeah. Mac and I have been playing music together for. About 15 years now, we went to high school together. Within 20 minutes with my first, uh, uh, 20 minutes during my first gig with Mac, I was like, okay, this is, that's how I want to hear the bass. That's, that's what I want. And we, you know, you know how Mac, very matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't talk a lot unless you talk to, to him or whatever. And so we don't like go on and on about what music should be. He just know, just intuition and, and skill. Very impressive. Yeah, I've seen, I've, I mean, we've both grown so much together, and uh, 
I have like absolute trust and faith whenever I play with them. It's it's, it's just, it comes from years and years of playing together. But uh, yes, that is how I think of the bass sounding too. And we also have uh, David Castaneda uh, on bongo and and percussion. Yeah, and then you're featured on keys. I'm on playing this. piano yeah. on this one. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. This is San Diego Sessions, your inside perspective on the SD jazz scene. 
It's Mandy Joe, and here's your jazz forecast for October 15th through the 22nd. Sunday, October 15th. Pianist Hugo Suarez plays solo at Maritalia Restaurante from 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. French jazz pianist and composer Tony Tixier performs with his New York City trio at Dizzy's. Music starts at 8 p.m. Monday, October 16th. Guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday night jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, and it's 21 and up. Wednesday, October 18th. Trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session in Balboa Park. Except, this Wednesday, it will be held in the Spreckles Organ Pavilion for one night only. Drop by early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. No cover and all ages are welcome. Thursday, October 19th, the Robert Dove Trio plays Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m. No cover and all ages. The Marine Corps Jazz Orchestra, the premier jazz ensemble of the United States Marine Corps, plays at Dayton Smith Recital Hall at San Diego State University from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Admission is free. Friday, October 20th, drummer and composer Nathan Hubbard performs at the Handlery Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., along with guitarist Kevin Jones and bassist Harley Magsino. No cover, and your parking is validated! The Friday Happy Hour is a regular series put on by Holly Hoffman, so stay tuned for more great jazz. Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate from 8 to 11 p.m. in the Plaza Bar of the Westgate Hotel. No cover. Trumpeter and vocalist Jason Hanna brings his trio to the Bahia Hotel from 8 to 11 p.m. Also on Friday, the Richard Thompson Quintet plays at Dizzy's, featuring Derek Cannon on trumpet, Trip Sprague on sax and flute, Mac Layton on bass, and Charlie Weller on drums. Music begins at 8 p.m., $20 cover, and $15 for students. The Michael Peed Quartet plays at the U.S. Grant from 8 p.m. to midnight. Saturday, October 21st. Vocalist Lorraine Castellanos joins guitarist Bob Boss at Harvest by the patio in East Village at 6 p.m. The Montalban Quintet plays an eclectic blend of original music at Panama 66 from 7 to 9 p.m. No cover and all ages are welcome. Also on Saturday, the Joshua White Trio Plus One plays at Dizzy's featuring saxophonist Daniel Rodham, bassist Dean Hewlett, and drummer Christian Newman. Music begins at 8 p.m. and there's a $20 cover. Vocalist Deborah Galen and the Silk Trio plays at the Westgate Hotel from 8 to 11 p.m. Featuring pianist Anthony Smith and bassist Doug Walker. All ages are welcome. Sunday, October 22nd. Tim Felton and crew host their monthly funk jam at Panama 66 in Balboa Park from 6 to 8 p.m. With house amps, percussion, a drum set, and keyboard. Check out Sundays in the Park on Facebook to see a song list and sign up. This is Mandy Joe, and this is San Diego Sessions, your inside perspective on the San Diego jazz scene. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. And we're back in the studio with uh, Kamal Kanyata. It's time for a little segment that we call the San Diego 7. These are seven uh, rapid-fire questions, not all of them uh, music-related. Some of them, you know, add a bit of levity. Um, and we'd like you to answer them from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready, I think. All right. Uh, number one. 
Um, what's the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? How much stuff I've got to do. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a morning, morning thought there. Uh, <laughs> number two, do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Yep. Yep. I'm pointing at my coffee now. Black. Yeah, same. I why do you want to mess around with anything else? Yeah. Uh, number three, do you have a favorite poet? Pablo Neruda. Ah, okay. He was. That a, was a loaded question. Yeah, that was a loaded question. We know you love Pablo Neruda. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> uh, 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 number four, this is a bit of a long one. Growing up and coming up in Detroit, you saw a lot of amazing music. If you can go back and see one performance again, what would it be? One live performance. Now, should that be Detroiters or just something that I saw in Detroit? Something you saw when you were younger in Detroit. Did it have to be something oh, from there? It could be anybody. Just the John Coltrane Quartet in 1966. Wow. Yeah. With Alice, with Alice Ben Riley. Yeah. 66. Amazing. Did uh, you get to see? No, actually, it was 1967. That's Holy cow. Yeah. This God, I need to. I think it's 67. So right near the end of his career. Right near the end yeah. of his career. Right, yeah. Was that R- Rashid Ali also? or I feel like it was Ben Riley on this gig. Oh, Ben Riley. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh. I would That'd be a killer combination. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. And yeah. that night he played with Monk too. Whoa, really? And I saw that I was 11 years old. Yeah, I saw it. Oh boy. Yeah. That yeah. Coltrane I would... and Monk. I mean that late in his career he's right there with Charlie Rouse. Yeah. I mean that's I mean people didn't know how flexible he was as a musician. Right. Yeah, Coltrane or, or Charlie Rouse? I'm talking about Col- I'm just, Coltrane because that was, you know, when he was recording Expression and Interstellar Space, and yet he could go up and play Monk doing Monk's, you know, the Monk canon, right? Right. And and still sound and good. Navigate changes yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, and manipulate his sound. This yeah. is just a little aside, but I, I read this the other night and it kind of blew my mind. Uh, Thel- Thelonious Monk is the second most recorded jazz composer of all time. Second only to Duke Ellington. But the weird thing is, Duke Ellington... Oh, yes. I'm, I'm pointing to my Duke Ellington shirt here, if you can't see it in, yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> the uh, the amazing thing was, um, he's second only to Duke Ellington in terms of the number of pieces, number of his pieces has been recorded, but Duke wrote over 1,000, and Monk wrote 70. Wow. Yeah. yeah, Duke wrote even closer to 1500 yeah. compositions. And yeah. but but Monk only wrote about about 70 and he's still the second most recorded cuz his his stuff is so is so deep and there's so much you can do with it and That's it, right. Yeah. Even just at playing it just stands on its own as he did it but then yeah. it's a great um it's such a great source to pull from. Absolutely. Um okay, number 4. Oh, that was number 4. Number 5. Uh, this is more of a, a this versus that. This versus that. New Kids on the Block or SWV? New Kids. New Kids. All right. Only because of how cool their tour was and how, how, how they roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of you might know that, uh, I mean, may not know, rather, that you, you toured with New Kids on the Block. And there's yes. one YouTube video that Kamau put up but he's way over in the background and you can't through all the VHS distortion you can't really make him out but he's I think it's him yeah it's me trying to jump around (laughs) wearing wearing the Carl Kanai clothes and backwards hat and all that and you 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 played with SWV too did you I toured yeah I toured with them something called the Budweiser Fest which is 27,000 miles in three months and oh my it was very grueling wow yeah 
Um, number six, was there a teacher or mentor that influenced you when you were starting out? Uh, there were there were many. Um, um, one in particular was a guy called Teddy Harris Jr., who is a pianist and saxophone player from Detroit, and um, he was conductor for the Supremes and also Aretha Franklin at various points. Um, and he was very generous with me. He invited me to his house for a lesson. He charged a lot. At the, the guy before me, and then he said, "I'm not charging you anything." Because I didn't have the money. I didn't know what I was going to do after I heard what he charged the previous guy. Anyway, um, and that. You just he, run out of there. Yeah. I was about yeah. to. And I, I, took a, I took a lesson with him. And at the end of the lesson, he gave me a soprano saxophone. He said, here, I think you're going to do something with this. And he just gave me an instrument. Wow. <laughs> and, that kind of, and that kind of generosity and that kind of concern was really kind of... Detroit had a great community of musicians, and the older guys really looked out for you. So it was not just him, but many others. Marcus Belgrave, the great trumpet player, uh, a guy called Ken Cox, uh, or Kenny Cox, yeah. and Harold McKinney, and, and many, many others uh, who... You know, they they mainly led by example. It's not as if they were taking your hand and you know showing you voicings. Although if you ask, they'd show you. Yeah. But more like more example, you know, ex- creative examples, I'd say. I mean, I think that's that's a good way to good way to lead. Mm-hmm. All right, no, big number seven. Right. Just this wrap. is our classic question. It's this, a tough one, though. Yeah, okay. It's, it's a very tough question. Bacon. It's open ended. <laughs> Turkey. Turkey. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's actually okay. That'll work. So we we we're we're uh three six for three six bacon, yes or no, and then one turkey. <laughs> All right. Well, uh Kamal, I wanted to talk some about your earlier influences and, and I think I mean maybe maybe some people in town don't know that you came up as a as a saxophone player or you played saxophone and piano for, for years, but um Originally, you were yeah, a tenor for... saxophone player in Detroit, right? Right. Um, uh, and in the in the Detroit scene, um, you were you were a working musician, and you mentioned all these mentors like Kenny Cox, who's a great piano player. Yeah. And and um, incidentally, you're only you're pretty close in age to Kenny Garrett, who's also from Detroit. He's a little bit younger than you. Kenny right? came after me, and I yeah. I remember him. Um, I, I ran a jam session at a place called. Uh, Napoleon's Retreat, <laughs> and I remember Kenny coming in, listening to myself and another. Ten- there was a tenor player called Vincent Bowens, and he he said we were early influences to him, which you know was amazing to me. But anyway, Kenny would, uh, after listening and then you know sitting in, he'd he'd walk over to the wall and basically practice the rest of the night, and not not like you know like with attitude or not like he didn't care but he was uh, obsessed with music i mean just like a lot of the people that we discussed before and he would kind of quietly just put the bell of his alto in the wall and just keep on going yeah he was in high school then i think huh so when i think about detroit i mean i'm a student of charles mcpherson uh and i think of charles and and barry harris but those guys were obviously a little before you but when you got started on on saxophone how how did you get your start you know yeah but playing horn it's cool that you mentioned those people because you know they were influences in fact uh, charles mcpherson went to high school with my uncle northwestern high school so uh, in that time you know um, imagine so i was born in 1955 um 
Detroit was a fairly, Detroit was segregated, not fairly, it was segregated, one of the most segregated northern communities. So the African-American community was very, very tight, and everybody knew each other. So my, my mom and dad, there was a club called the Bluebird in, 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 the, in, the, in the black neighborhood, the west side, and people like Miles played there, Milt Jackson, Coltrane, everybody, really. Um, and the French horn player, Julius Watkins was a guy in the neighborhood, right? So, oh, my, my father, I asked him, my father, and he's, oh, Julius, I, I knew him, you know. And so those names, Tommy Flanagan was a personal friend of my, my dad. So I got to listen to those people when I was a, a young guy. And in the late 50s, early 60s, jazz was, you'd have to say it was more popular for everyday people. Yeah, my uncle, who yeah. was not a, a musician, had an extensive collection of, of my uncle Richard Harris, uh, had a an extensive collection of music, and I listened with him from from day one. So I, when I was two or three years old, I was listening to Miles, Ahmad Jamal, um, Art Farmer. Uh, those are the ones that I remember. Milt Jackson, for sure. He loved the, the MJQ. Mm. A lot of Jamal and MJQ. Right. Yeah. And then when, when did you start getting into uh, Herbie Hancock and that type of music? High school. Yeah. I'd say more, more towards high school. Um, but if you ask about you know, saxophone specifically, you know, so I grew up, I, I listened to Tio Macero. He's someone I really like. People don't know yeah. what a great uh, tenor player. There's an album called Tio on Prestige if you, people want to check him out. Um, I listened to Johnny Griffin. Um, not that they come out in my playing, but they, these are people I listen to a lot. And I loved Pepper Adams, the Detroit, a Detroit baritone player. Mm. Uh, Again, now th- he's an interesting guy because he's a white musician from Detroit, and during that this segregated time in the '40s, and you know, in the '40s for sure, he was hanging. He was hanging at that same club, the Bluebird, and he was totally embraced by the black community. And they were, you know, he and Elvin were friends, and he, you know, he is a bad, bad guy, right? Yeah, and they, they he's call kind him of the, the Godfather of uh, bebop, no baritone pl- saxophone. No one plays yeah. baritone like him. <laughs> he man. took it from just like. Charlie Parker took alto from everybody wanted to sound like Johnny Hodges to to Bird, and then he took the baritone from Harry Carney to well to Pepper Adams, I guess. So. And you know he was about five five. Wow. <laughs> and something I like tell that. He was short, but yeah. Yeah, man, and he they called him the knife because he cut everyone else down to below his size if wow. he, when he played. Yeah. So he was someone I listened to a lot. Big influence. Yeah. yeah. So what what was your first big tour or or gig that you got as a young saxophone player my first big tour Detroit. was um i i auditioned i played a, the song cristo redentor for um donald bird and i i got a, a tour with with donald bird and donald bird and the blackbirds and i was just out of high school that must have been about 1973 or something like that okay you're, you're so, playing saxophone on that tour i was playing sax yeah wow so 73 that was the year blackbird came out so this was yeah. more his uh, fusion fusion period, like two it was, with two it, guitars, or no, we didn't. Use, we had a guitar, the, yeah. Um, uh, but he still, I love that he still record. called his straight ahead stuff on the same gigs. Oh yeah, and especially like we opened for a lot of cool people. We opened for Chick Corea. We opened for Herbie Hancock. If he opened for like a jazz artist, he would go. He would throw some straight ahead in there. So working with Donald Byrd, I know Donald Byrd is from Detroit, but at that time he was mostly in, in New York. Did you have a connection to him or did you just get hooked up with him? I just got hooked up with him because he hired another uh, uh, a pianist from, from my high school, uh, Kevin Tony, and I got the audition when another saxophone player left. Uh, he was living in, he had a home in D.C. 
he had three homes. Bird was a tremendous <laughs> businessman, so he had a place in he had a place in Bel Air. He had a place in uh, uh, Brownstone in New York, and and he had uh, he also had a, a place in Georgetown. Well, I'm I'm struggling just to rent one home. <laughs> <laughs> and then when when did you make the transition to be being more interested in in playing piano or or you know or working on your piano? Playing? It was interesting, uh, and I know both of you guys can re- relate to this. So especially you, Ian. I was a, a saxophone player writing, and I would present my writing to certain piano players and they didn't play the chord voicings that, that I was looking for. And on top of that, they'd get a little tight if, if I asked them to play a specific voicing. Huh. And I thought, <laughs> you know what, maybe it's just, maybe I'll just play the piano so yeah. that I can, cause it was more important to me to, to kind of, again, serve the music and, and get the sound that I wanted than be the guy doing this or that. And I, you know, because I never had, I've never had tremendous technique on any of my instruments. I'm just trying to make music sound good. You know? the, the first time I ever met you, uh, I remember it was at that Tango Del Rey place. I forget who you were playing with, but I saw you there. Uh-huh. Playing, you were playing piano. And I, I talked to you afterwards, and you, you, just, you said, um, I me- I'll never forget what you said. You said, I'm a, I'm a harmonic player. Uh-huh. And uh, and I and it just it and it really opened my ears up to like how much of a emphasis you put on your voicings and your specific harmonies and mm-hmm. everything you play is is so chosen and 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 intentional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. Thank there's you. A, there's a there's a as a piano player, there's this intense purity in your voicings and the way mm. you play and the 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 harmony that you decide. That's very you and also just perfect. There's no extra anything. That's great. Yeah, when you're not when you're not burdened with tremendous technique, <laughs> you have to make the choices count, you know, and, <laughs> and, and that's that's part of it. I mean, that's part of it for sure. I mean, I, I've I've seen like how you've you can take a voicing and then okay, what if you remove that note and move that up an octave and voice it this way instead? And you play the same chord essentially, technically mm-hmm. on paper. You'd write, oh, that's a whatever g major seven sharp 11 mm-hmm. but then the way you voice it out as opposed to the way somebody else might it's just it makes you step back it's got a purity there that um, that just really amazes me that's i mean coming from you that that means a lot and you know another piano player who i really respect said something about my voice and that's bob weller bob weller said he liked my i was like whoa because because bob is a uh, he's an absolute san diego gym yeah Amazing pianist, amazing drummer. Yeah, um, a piano tuner too, but also an amazing drummer and piano player. It's 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 so it's so great when I get to play with Bob because piano players don't get a chance to play with piano players right. that often. So it's really cool when I get to do that, or when I play with like Anthony Smith or somebody oh, like yeah. that who who doubles and it's, mm-hmm. or yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a cool thing. They hear they hear what you're doing in a way that not everyone necessarily does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, early in your career, you recorded. Two records uh, in in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. And that was um, Strong Men and Bigger. But I think the last track we're going to hear is something from Bigger, and this is called The Outsider. But since we were talking about Detroit, maybe you can give us a little history on the the musicians and and this this tune. Oh yeah, we can so, har- harken back to the old olden mm-hmm. days. So so Bigger um, was a project um, in, inspired by the writings of uh, the the novelist Richard Wright, and Bigger Thomas was. Uh, the the protagonist in, in Native Son. It, from, many people probably read that in high school or college. But and so all of the songs have to do with um, with either his characters or his novels. And the outsiders, the outsider was one of his novels. 
uh, lesser known. And uh, he was a big inspiration to me. And uh, the musicians on that include, for instance, on bass, Jeribu Shahid and Tanita Ball on drums. These guys are known more for their work with the avant-garde people like Roscoe Mitchell, Sun Ra. But again, in Detroit, there was a, this big emphasis on just doing music and not being in a camp or something like that. Everybody, the, it goes back to Motown with the Motown session musicians being jazz musicians, for instance. Uh, I think right. also uh, there's Walt Shemansky on, on trumpet and on uh, Vibes, Bobby Allison, and Vincent Bowens on, on tenor saxophone. Oh, you mentioned him earlier. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So some of the avant-garde influence, did that come from being in proximity to Chicago with these Detroit guys? Or? Mm, I think Detroit had its own avant-garde, and so did Chicago. But, but for instance, that's pretty cool that you mentioned that. Tani Tabal was from Chicago, and he played with Phil Coran, Coran and some of those other, those those AACM guys and... So there was some kind of flow between Detroit and Chicago of ideas and musicians, and uh, both both uh, straight ahead and and more avant garde stuff. Yeah. Before we get into that track, though, um, why don't we talk a little bit about some upcoming things you have? I know you've been commissioned to write a piece for the San Diego Ballet. I think. That's right. Um, it's a great honor because uh, Charles McPherson has done this before. Gilbert Castellanos has done this b- before. And uh, now I'm going to get my chance. And uh, Javier Velasco will be doing the choreography. Uh, and that's coming up in their 2018 season, uh, right? We so, think February. Okay. Schedule for February. Have you, uh, have you ever composed for ballet before? No. But cool. I just, I love, uh, I love doing multimedia things I, I think it helps people kind of focus differently on the music and I, I i like not being in a club you know right yeah great well we're gonna look forward to that in 2018 and yes. uh we'd love to have you back on the show maybe to talk about the ballet when that that okay. comes comes to fruition yeah. we'd love to have you any any time to talk about what's going on yeah. and well, future projects so. thank you both it was wonderful having you and uh hearing about your your work both as a musician and as a as a producer, I, I just wanted to say, like, uh, what I sort of said about the purity in your voicings and the way you play piano and how you can distill such an awesome sound out of what's already there, but just by making choices and moving stuff around editing, I feel that that same skill and that same talent shows in your producing as well. As having worked with you, it's a, it's a real cool thing to watch and be a part of. Well, thank you very much. But, you know, when I get a chance to work with someone like, and this is going to sound like a love fest or bromance or whatever, someone with an ad who can just basically do anything on the play more than one part at the same time, then it's it's easy to be the guy just kind of looking over the shoulder, just nudging because he can he can deliver on the piano. So, <laughs> yeah, Ed. I was. I thought you were talking about Ed Mata, actually. <laughs> yeah, two two heads are better than one, though. Sorry, I had to get one bad joke in before this ended. All right, well, thanks again, Kamal, for being our guest number ten. And here we go with Kamal's track, "The Outsider."
You've been listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser. Performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artists. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. <laughs>